Welcome to the I Work For Him podcast. I'm Michael Miracle, producer of the I Work For Him radio program, the voice of the faith and work movement. Our mission is to transform the workplace of every Christian into a mission field. What does that look like in your workplace? Let's find out right now. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the I Work For Him podcast today. Martha and I recently had an opportunity to speak at a Made to Flourish event in Richmond, Virginia. Made to Flourish is an organization focused on equipping pastors to help equip us Christ followers out here in our workplaces, made to flourish.org, made to flourish.org. Dr. Svetlana Papazov is the leader of the Richmond Made to Flourish group, and she introduced us. I hope you enjoyed the talk that we gave. Without further ado, just want to really give the mic back to Jim and Martha and just take it from here and lead us through an exciting uh, time of learning. All right, hang on. So we've uh, yeah, we do radio programs, so we're used to like having an interview and other people, but we also get a chance to opportunity to speak. And so tonight we're going to share from our hearts a little bit, and then we're going to interact with you guys because we want to make sure this ends up being practical, tactical, factual, and biblical by the time we get to the end of the evening. Mm-hmm. So there's 150 million people in the workforce today. Maybe it's 140 million, but it's between 140 and 150 million. 36% of them identify as born-again believers, which means there's about 55 million believers in the workforce each and every day. And if research is accurate, which I doubt it, I just do, I just do, 3.3 million of those believers actually get the connection between their faith and their work. I think the number's smaller. That leaves almost 52 million Believers out there who have no idea how to connect their faith and their work. And and that's why we exist as an organization. Mm-hmm. Most of them actually, most of the most believers out there in the workforce actually think that the best thing they could do is to quit their job so they can go to be in ministry. And that's what we're going to try to stop in this country. It's the most ridiculous thing because all of those people are in places that pastors can never get access to each and every day, and their calling to the workplace is so significant. So how do we take advantage of what we like to call those fully funded missionaries that are out there in the workforce every day? I read that in a book somewhere. I can't take any credit for that. <laughs> All right, because right... Sorry, my, my, was that your Mike book? It, was, it wasn't in Mike Henry's book? I think I don't you know. might be quoting one right, of our well, I'm quoting some. I am quoting a guest somewhere. All right. And how do we take advantage of the fact that the church has been extricated from the buildings because mm-hmm. of the coronavirus? How can we, the church, bring healing to our very broken land as we go from sea to shiny sea even tonight? Tonight, we're going to tell you a little bit about our story. We're going to talk a little bit about the faith and work movement and where it's at today. And then we're going to talk about some practical, tactical, factual, and biblical ways on how to activate the 55 million Christ followers who go to work every day and the 30 million who are retired. And how do we get all of them to get connected in living out their faith no matter where they go? Hey, there may be some things that that I say tonight, not likely, Martha, that may come across and offend some of your traditions. I apologize ahead of time. You know, our hearts are bound in Jesus, so forgive our boldness. It's mostly going to be me because Martha hardly ever offends anybody. Uh, and it, But if it helps mobilize a nation of workplace believers to recognize a call in their life, we and our goal is to get them to be able to say, I work for him. So let's get on just a little bit of our story, a little of the bio. Hey, June, uh, July 13th, 1979, Martha and I were both at a youth conference. We were both 13 years old, and we both made a commitment to full-time Christian ministry. We didn't know each other. 
we met each other three years later. She was from another state. I was from Minnesota, the great state of Minnesota. In August of 1982, Martha and I met. She was dating one of my buddies. That's how I met her. He didn't last very long because in June of 1986, Martha and I got married. We were finishing up our four-year degree. I got a degree in computer science. Don't even ask me why. There's no time for that tonight. Martha got a degree in business and accounting. I have a minor in business. And our plan was when I got out of college, we would enroll in seminary because we both had made the commitment to full-time Christian ministry. Yeah, and that's really where the struggle began for us because we thought that we would enroll in you know, in seminary because that is what would be the next step in fulfilling the calling that God had given us. And our senior pastor came to us and said, Jim, you are not cut out to be a pastor. You couldn't handle having all those bosses, meaning the people in the pews, and we need more lay people. And at that very moment, that was when the word lay people actually became a very offensive term for Jim because it was it was it, he felt like I'm I'm second tier. And so that's really a big part of our story, so I just really want to make sure that I emphasize that because it, it was hard to hear, but we unenrolled from seminary and just kept on volunteering working in the church. Um, Jim also had a couple mentors that great godly men, but they told him, Jim, church is church, business is business. They don't have anything to do with each other. Make a lot of money and serve on the building committee because that's where you'll be needed. Well, make a lot of money. Give it to the church. Give it to the church. Well, yeah, make a lot of money and, and tithe on it. maybe you'll get a chance it, to know? serve on the building committee one <laughs> there day. There you go. Because that's what we need, more church buildings in America. But the truth of the matter was, I grew up in an entrepreneurial home. Jim was entrepreneurial at age eight. He was selling greeting cards because he wanted to, you know, get the prizes and I all the a fishing pole. You needed the fishing pole that was a prize for selling the most greeting cards. So he started, you know, at a very young age, living out how God had created him to be. But we didn't know how to reconcile our gifting in business with our call that we thought was a commitment to ministry, but we didn't see them as being connected in any way. So for the next couple of decades, we owned businesses, we had dozens of employees, um, but we still thought we needed to go to seminary. And that was a real sticking point for us. So we enrolled again. God brought another pastor to us and said- He brought his wife this time. <laughs> to our house, sat us down and said, we just don't think that's what you're supposed to do. But the, he didn't finish. There was no next. There was no but. You can be in ministry in your work. And that's where there was a gap for a lot of years. We just felt like we weren't fulfilling what God had called us to do. Um, so we still had trouble reconciling that. And we had never heard a sermon that said our our work mattered to God, that um our you know, business was a call on our life, that that was a mission field. So that is really important to us. And that we kept hearing, we're second tier. We're second tier. We're not, as in, we, we can't do the work right. of ministry. The real people work at church or they're overseas. That's what we kept hearing. Yeah. So we worked hard all day, made all that money they told us to make so that we could tithe to the church, give to the church, volunteered with the youth. I was a treasurer on the, on the church board. We did marriage mentoring later on, but we always felt like that was all we could do for ministry. So God moved us to Florida because of Martha's health. And many of you would think, well, naturally, you'd want to move from Minnesota to Florida. That's not the case. But we did it anyway. And it was for Martha's health. And it's been, it was a great move. But God had a different plan. I was allergic to the cold. She was. <laughs> it was a little <laughs> deeper than that. But, but it's, And I'm allergic to the heat. As you can see, my face is red. It was 83% humidity today. 
because that's why we live in Florida. In November, when you guys in the Midwest are getting snow and ice. Okay, anyway, sorry. All right. It's okay. So God moved us to Florida in August 2003, and I joked with all my new friends and said, hey, I decided to plan my midlife crisis. I was 37 years old, and I decided, I told God when I was going to have my midlife crisis. And what was funny is that God kind of let me do it. I don't really know why, but for the next decade, God had me on a journey. It started off by a buddy of mine in January of 04 giving me the book Halftime, written by a guy named Bob Buford, a book that I've given out a thousand times, and that book has been read by over a hundred thousand people. Maybe it's even a million people by now. It's a lot of people. And it was all about the fact that I could have significance in my success, not just a pursuit of success, not just a pursuit of significance, but a significance in my success. That was the first time I'd ever heard that I could kind of have significance, like God kind of significance in my Mm. my work, but it didn't really explain it all that deeply. You had to go to their Halftime Institute, and I didn't qualify. Then a buddy of mine, the same buddy that gave me the Halftime book two years later, introduced me to Oz Hillman and his daily devotionals, Today, God is First. What great devotionals. It was the very first time I was 40 years old, the very first time I'd ever heard that I could be a workplace minister, that I actually, having managed 25 people at the time, I was a pastor to those people. Nobody had ever used that language before. I'd never heard that before. I didn't have a pastor that agreed. I, it was it was like mind-blowing and frustrating all at the same time. But it was the first time that I ever heard, wow, okay, so that call in full-time ministry? Ooh, I've been there. I just didn't even know. Mm-hmm. So I had to ask myself, what am I going to do with that information? And so I really just started... I had a 90-mile commute to work at that point in time, uh, which for those of you in L.A., that's no big deal because that's just a quarter-mile 90-minute uh, commute. That, so, But anyway, uh, so we, we commute. I, in my commute, I just committed. I was going to start praying. I've been a radio guy all my life, not on the radio, listening to the radio. And I just said, Lord, I'm going to dedicate my morning commute to you. And just, I want to learn how to pray. And I started praying for my coworkers, my employees, my bosses, their spouses, their children. And... I started seeing myself as a pastor in my workplace, but I also started seeing those people the way God saw them, which is the very first time I had had empathy for the people that I didn't like. That whole Jesus said, you know, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. I learned to practice that. That was one of those things. But then that great job that I had to transform my life that I actually got to lead one of my bosses to Christ, another one to rededicate his life, and I get to mentor another young man. That whole world fell apart because it was all involved in the construction world. And when the Great Recession hit in Florida, It was like a depression in the construction world. But God had been stirring in my heart. I saw a desperate need for the discipleship of Christian businessmen and women out there in the marketplace because the only people I'd ever lost money to in a business deal before 2009 were people who called themselves Christians in business. 2009, I got ripped off by a pagan. That makes sense. Okay, It makes sense. It doesn't make sense. The other stuff doesn't make sense. I found myself many times in the marketplace, in networking groups, and in, uh, wherever I was, running into people who were Christian business people, and, and I'd say, if you're going to act that way, would you please not tell people you know Jesus? Because <laughs> there's something seriously wrong with you. And, and But that's the disconnect. There's That's like the plague. And so I was praying to the Lord. I said, Lord, I, I, I am, you're churning something on my heart. I'm not sure what it is, but Christian business people need to be discipled. And they need to be told that their their behavior matters, that there is a connect between Sunday and Monday, and we got to do something about this. And I said, Lord, I'll know you want me to do something when you give me a name for whatever it is you're churning inside of me. November 20th, 2012, God gave me the name I work for him. Seems pretty simple, but I'm not a marketing guy. But it's a pretty cool name, I've been told by many people. So that night I said to the Lord, Lord, I, I can see how I have, I, I can mentor four or five Christian business guys, but how do you challenge thousands of people 
Well, make a long story short, because we're, we're short on time tonight. Six months later, we're on the radio. Less than six months later, we went on the radio. I happened to share my testimony at a little networking event in Tampa Bay. And I sat down in the room next to the only person I didn't know. And she owned a Christian talk radio station. She goes, you need to talk about that faith and work stuff on the radio. Hmm. (laughs) I argued, but the Lord said, yeah, you were praying for this. So you got to say yes. So we went on the air in uh, April of 2013. We started interviewing authors that had written great books to encourage people on how to connect their faith and their work. We started interviewing everyday believers who were just trying to figure out what does it look like for me to live out my faith and my work. And we interviewed great people that run, well, author, great authors like Svetlana Papazov, who wrote this great book, Church for Monday. Everybody in Christianity should have to read her book, period, end of story. <laughs> Certainly every pastor should. And then, you know, great ministries. We started interviewing great ministries that disciple people. Ministries like Follower One with Mike Henry, who actually take people on marketplace missions trips, not overseas, to mm-hmm. their workplace, teaching them to be a missionary to the workplace. The issue is there's, there's a problem in America, and, and we're going to talk about that. Yeah, so, you know, the, the problem is, is most people d- still don't realize that they're believing in this two-tier kingdom. And we look at pastors and missionaries, and, and we, they are needed. We don't discount that at all. But we see ourselves under that, and that call in our life, we don't understand how to live that out. We may not have the words for it, but we believe that, that that is the case. And, you know, up, even now, most people don't hear sermons about the significance of their work. Um, We've been going to church all of our lives, both of us. We're both 54. I just told Martha's age. I know I'm not so do that, but okay. I won't tell you her weight tonight. <laughs> but this is how many sermons we've ever heard about our work. Figure out that times 52 times 54, whatever that number is, this is how many we've ever heard. <laughs> I'm not sure four. what you were. Four of them. <laughs> four. Four of them. Where, where they were very specific. You know, and that, and you all know, if you're, you're a part of Made to Flourish, just changing that vocabulary to say, okay, so tomorrow when you're at work, how, are, how can you live out with integrity or whatever that may be, you know, to, to apply it to what we spend so much of our life on. So, you know, we also, a lot of people have never even thought about all of the business people that are in the Bible. The sto- Wait, Stop for that a second. What? How many of you realize there's business people in the Bible? Probably everybody on this call. <laughs> Just making sure. Yes. Okay. Yes. But you know that, that was it, audience interaction. In that case you guys that were was wondering. it right there. Okay. So and you know we even we we kind of talk. Um, we have fun talking about this one. Is the fact that Jesus was part of an entrepreneurial family. You know they had a family business, and we, wait, wait, let's stop it. Let's we ask can believe. Ow! Oh. Uh, <laughs> here's the deal. I want to ask this question: How many of you have ever heard that sermon about Jesus's reputation in the marketplace, which made it possible for him to be an itinerant preacher without any issues? How many of you have ever heard a sermon about Jesus being a business owner? That's the problem, people. God could have put Jesus in any family on the planet, and he put him in a Jewish business-owning family, small business owner. You know, one of the things that Jim, kind of a couple of years ago, we were talking about this, and he said, you know, if Jesus had a bad business 
you know, he didn't do a good job or his workmanship wasn't very good, you can bet we'd know about that because the Pharisees would have been all over it. And they weren't. They didn't have anything to bring up like that. So we never hear anything about that. And, you know, some people don't like to talk about what's not in the Bible, but we believe that that would, that would be in there if there was, you know, criticism about it. So he just sets such a great example. And we don't just know we're not studying to that level. And so that's one of the things that we realize um, we need to be talking about on the radio. And really just helping people to believe that this lie that they believe that work is just a necessary evil because you know god gave us work as a gift and really changing that paradigm changing that way of thinking that it's not just a an evil that's necessary so that i can rest on the weekend or so that i can whatever fill in the blank and um so we really believe that people need help to see the significance in their workplace calling and honestly i believe that the pastors of the four walls church actually hold the key to launching the mission field that we're talking about that the pastor can take this whole you know a lot of them think that faith and work the movement is another program but it's not we live it every day, and just if they, if we can help change that conversation and help more people to understand that Monday matters, um, I think we would be living. And I know we'd be living in our calling a whole lot more equipped. So when we started studying this this movement, the Faith and Work movement, back in the mid two thousands, there was about two hundred ministries nationwide. Today. There are over 3,000 ministries nationwide. There, in fact, there are new ones every day we learn about. They're all over the place. So we decided as a radio program that what we would do is start to highlight as many of them as possible so that people could find out about them, so people could connect to them. And then when people write great books like Church for Monday, we want to make that idea famous because what they're doing in Midlothian, Virginia needs to be reproduced in a 1,000 cities. Actually, did you know... There's 19,500 uh, cities in this country. You could have a church for Monday in every one. How about that? There you it, go. Earth shattering, earth shattering. And if you could have a cyber pastor, I got to tell you, I'm loving the cyber pastor idea. I think that's just the coolest thing ever. All right. So we just decided to highlight them. But we also decided to highlight faith stories of people that are just trying to figure it out. You know, people that are like air conditioning repair guys seeing that their work is actually a ministry or car repair guys or used car sales guys or new car sales guys or maybe an engineer or an architect or i mean we've, we've interviewed so many people even pastors who've got a job i mean we talked that was supposed to be funny sorry <laughs> we just wanted to make sure we connected our listeners to those ministries to the testimonies, to the resources, the books. But we also started working on connecting ministries to each other uh, because these ministries, so many of these ministries across the country, you know, there's one made to flourish and really there's one organization in the country focused on discipling pastors to get this whole faith and work thing. But there are probably a thousand or more uh, roundtable discussion group uh, business Wow, I'm having a hard time in my mouth. Mm -hmm. My rental agreement just ran out in the middle of the hour. <laughs> Biz, Christian business roundtable discussion groups around the country, all reproducing the wheel, all reproducing uh, their material every week or every month. We got to connect mm -hmm. these people. Mm -hmm. We're wasting kingdom resources, but I digress. All right. We realized that God had a call in our lives not to, we're, you know, we're not a ministry. Like you can't go buy anything from us. Well, not yet. We have three books coming out. Plug. Um, but the whole idea is for us to highlight what other people are doing. 
because that is what God is about. And not enough of these ministries are famous enough. I mean, literally, before tonight, did you guys know that there was a ministry focused on taking people on marketplace missions trips? No. I mean, it's breathtaking. And if every Christian in America, all 55 million of them, sorry, Mike, that might blow your mind a little bit. If all 55 million of them actually went on a marketplace mission trip, they would know and understand by the end of the two-week trip that their workplace is a place of ministry. So now there's thousands of faith and work ministries and new ones popping up every day. And when we went on the air, we were one of very few podcasts out there in the country talking about this. Today, there's hundreds, hundreds of podcasts out there encouraging people, men, women, young people, old people on connecting their faith and their work. There's hundreds and hundreds of books. I've read 500 books about the faith and work movement. There are so many out there, uh, so many great ones. Uh, There's some from the stalwarts of the faith. Stanley Tam wrote one in the mid 60s when he gave his entire business to God. And he said, you can't do that. And he goes, yes, I can. What a great story from the 1960s. Pastors are starting to preach it mainly because of the powerful voice of Made to Flourish. But the last I checked, Made to Flourish had somewhere between three and 4,000 pastors as members. But there's over 300,000 pastors in this country. We have work to do. Christ followers have been activated across the country to live out their faith in the work and to recognize that they work in a mission field. Their workplace, their ministry place is their workplace, and it's a mission field. What is it? What? This I've had lots of arguments with overseas missionaries about this. What quantifies a mission field? A place where there's lots of lost people who are hopeless and don't know Jesus. Every workplace in America has 60 to 70% of people who never go to church. Well, you know, a lot of people call it the unreached people group. And, you know, the workplace is full of those. <laughs> yeah, when you look at our population prior to March the 13th, 2020, seven, 60 to 70% of the population didn't go to church. Now it's almost everybody. So they don't go to church. Well, but they're going Except, okay. virtually. You know, I'd, lo- I'd love funny. to know those okay, numbers. Go to church. All right. That, I mean, the number, I actually believe the number online has actually gone up since then, which is great. All right. Every state has faith and work ministries. Every one of them has it. and there, But there's one central coordinating figure across the country, and it's not I work for him. The Holy Spirit of God is raising up people in the marketplace all over the place saying, hey, your work matters in fact, we got an email from a guy named Dan from Grand Haven, Michigan, a couple weeks ago. He goes, "I'm so grateful I found out about your ministry. I thought I was alone in the only. I thought I was the only one out there thinking that I needed to work to connect my faith and my work. I had no idea." And he worked at an Amazon. Uh, he works at an Amazon uh, warehouse. One of, warehouse, one of those yeah. places where the boxes flying all over the place all the time. Jesus said this in John 17, 20 to 23. He says, my prayer, he, he was talking about us. This is a cool part. This is the greatest verse ever. Well, it's three verses, 20 to 23. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He's talking about the disciples. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you and are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Mm -hmm. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So the world is in trouble until we start to demonstrate unity, but there's a great awakening that's begun in the hearts and minds of workplace believers. As I said, we've got some work to do. At the beginning of our, our talk, we talked about the 52 million people who don't know They're Jesus followers that don't have any idea that their faith and their work are supposed to be intricately connected. Most remain discipled for Sunday, but not for Monday. We need to connect them to discipleship ministries that are focused 
on disciple connecting their faith and their work and helping them to interlace their faith and their work and we need to connect them with the idea that their workplace is a mission field and during COVID 19 tens of millions of christians as i said earlier have been extricated from their church buildings and i use that word very 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 importantly christians are the reason the country is in the, the, the state that it is in today we have been held up in church buildings nine trillion dollars of them by the way over the last 60 years nine trillion dollars by the way nine trillion dollars of church buildings that have been empty mostly for the last nine months but but god said all right enough is enough how about this COVID 19 thing to get your butts out of the church pew on sunday how about that all right there you go i gotta wave now that's right amen sister that's right all right and churches are waking up to the reality that this new normal is really the old normal how about this this is the way church was done two thousand years ago mm-hmm. okay don't be particular to me how about 1970 years ago this is how this started <laughs> the, the the church was they weren't in buildings they were out there in the marketplace they were out there the, the infiltrating society slaves and free men and women uh, unbelievable we've got to shift the church the four walls church on its head and make it right side up we got to shift it from building a little k kingdom to building a manufacturing and equipping plant the church is supposed to be a manufacturing plant and we haven't done that in a long time it's time to tear down the walls that the enemy has built within the church he loved to create divisions we have forty-three thousand denominations yet in the marketplace denominations don't matter do they Nobody talks about denominations. Jesus is who we're united around. I've been in networking groups with every denomination. Well, not everyone, because there haven't been 43,000 people big. Although on LinkedIn, there is Christian professionals worldwide with very close to that many different yeah. denominations represented. <laughs> Christians got to stop wasting resources. We're called to be good stewards. We're called, we're called to break down these walls, but we've got to start recognizing that the workplace is our place of mission and we've got to start speaking that language that encouraging language into every believer that's out there and, you know we can only do so much if we had a nationwide radio program we were on every christian talk radio station in america there would still be 50 million people that don't know and we could be on every podcast and there'd still be christian people that don't know that their workplace it's their mission field it's time to for the church to recognize a dramatic shift where believers in the marketplace are unified and we need to make sure that it's not just five days a week but all seven we're Mm -hmm. all called to minister we're all called to be the church the walls have nothing to do with it the faith and work movement's had a couple issues though for the last 45 years it's been pretty much men-centric and that's an issue since 55 percent of the workforce is women i got a problem with that the other issue we have is that i don't know about you guys but i don't know if you notice this but when women become jesus followers they get spiritual gifts too but the church has had a problem with the spiritual gifts of women. Yet out in the marketplace, Christ-following women, Christ, Christian-working women are exploding in influence, and really, they don't struggle near as much as men do with recognizing their faith and their work should be intricately connected. Hmm. You know, that's an interesting point because um, we talk about the fact that there are so many groups that meet similar to this that are mostly men 
Uh, You have a great representation here, and Svetlana is a great leader, and um, I love the fact that she is able to do all that she is able to do for the kingdom. But one of the things that we've done at I Work For Him is kind of created a sub-brand called She Works For Him. And it's not to be a system, it's not to be um, any program, but really just to catapult and to encourage the women, the working Christian working women to make sure that they are getting equipped to do the things that God has called them to do in the workplace. And so Jim alluded to the books that we're writing, but one of them is a She Works For Him field manual, just filled with stories of workplace, Christian workplace women and um, how God is using them in their place of work to encourage and to just challenge the women. And another sub-brand that we have is I Retire For Him. We truly believe that the um, retirees across the across the country are you know kind of put on the sidelines they're said okay you financially retire but we make them socially retire too and that just makes no sense you know we allow huge offices of our government at very late ages of life yet we at, like for in instance, the church the two guys ran for president 74 78 yet in our church if you're that old you're in your own Sunday school class leave yeah. the rest of us alone yeah. we got work to do so we really want to have that conversation of, of re-engaging with the retirees and to not just ask for their resources but to ask for their relationships and to allow them to take that head that um, you know God designed them to have. So we like to call them chronologically superior. And so actually, we, Grant Skeldon in his book The Passion Generation called them chronologically superior, but and we've we have kind totally of adopted, adopted that. that. Yes. Absolutely. So that is just another area that we're just very passionate about: is is how can we um, engage the retirees, calling them back out of the grandstands, back onto the playing fields of life. Maybe not running the plays, but how about? being a coach there you go all right so one of the things that we've seen and this is what god laid on my heart as i commuted 90 miles to work back in 05 06 07 and 08 god showed me the way i could live out my faith and my work and this is a simple pattern that we have now seen in multiple organizations including mike henry a follower of one and his marketplace missions trips this is what god told us we start off we incur we need to encourage every christ follower in america that's out there in the workforce or even in their retired neighborhood Gotta start praying for people by name each and every day. How about the people that we come in contact with every day? Our neighbors, or how about our employees, our bosses, our coworkers? Pray for them by name each and every day. Then look for ways, that's number one, and look for ways to uh, serve them over and above what your job requires you to do. In our neighborhood, we live in a retired neighborhood in Fort Myers, not because we're retired, but because Martha's parents live nearby and they needed help. Uh, We just look for ways to serve our retired neighbors all the time. Because they need people that can lift stuff up and put it up on a shelf. So look for ways to serve people over and above what you're required to do. Then look for ways to befriend people outside of the workplace. Because workplace friendships are one thing, but real friendships are another. And when you have a real friendship with somebody, you get an opportunity to share the faith that is in you. You get to share who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in your life. The fourth step is to look to pray with people when you notice they're having a rough day. Because when people come to work, you see how they're, they got a standard demeanor. This is my demeanor for the day. And if you watch The Office, you know that they demonstrated that all the time. One guy was always down. The other guy was always ridiculously uh, uh, hyper. I mean, all those guys. It was real life. The Office was <laughs> like a documentary, really. On Well, maybe not. Steve Carroll would love that, that I tell him it was a documentary. But you look for a way people act on a normal basis. And when you notice that they're down, you say, what's going on? And they're like, I'm fine. And you say, really? You quote the Italian job. Freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional? You're really fine? Well, and then you listen. 
What are they sharing with you? How are they how are they communicating with you what's going on in their life? And then you say, thank you for sharing that. Can I pray with you about that right now? I've never had anybody say no. Because when somebody is down, they're open to prayer. Mm-hmm. I've prayed with atheists. I've prayed with Muslims and Jews. I've prayed with a- a- agnostics. I've prayed with everybody. Because when they're down, all of a sudden, they look to God. But all along, Christ followers out there in the workplace have to be people of excellence. They can't be the people I used to shake by the shoulders and go, please don't tell people you know Jesus if you're going to act that way. It can't be that. We've got to be people of excellence. Everything about us has got to be excellent. Nobody should be able to, everybody should be able to look at our work and go, what? Jim, you're making me all look bad. I'm like, sorry, just doing my job. Okay. But that's the steps that transforms a workplace and gives a Christ follower an opportunity to really become a minister. Because when you start to pray for people, what happens to your heart? Your heart starts to shape and you start to see those people the way God sees them. And when you start to see people the way God sees them, you develop an empathy for them that is unparalleled with anything else in the world and you've got an opportunity to really start transforming a workplace but it starts with us praying for other people so martha we've got some ideas for this pandemic well we do because one of the things that we we want to be very practical and this is where you know we can even have some conversation i think around this jim is just the fact that um how do we apply this? How do we take what we were talking about and apply it in a pandemic era? And one of the things that we know um, is the fact that Romans 12, 2 has been incredibly important to us. And um, just the, the whole idea of um, not conforming to the ways of the world, you know, Every single day, there's things that we hear in, on the news, we see in social media that twist our thinking and every day we need to measure ourselves against what scripture says and not what the world says so not conforming to the ways of the world but being transformed and seeing how god can use us so really we really make that a um a real big focus and 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 that's something especially now we feel um can really help all of us as we look at life through the lens of scripture right i love the nlt version it says stop don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Now, it's not the renewing your mind because that's even more powerful when you get a new mind, but changing the way you think because we got to stop thinking about church the way we think about church. Every time you think of, when I say the word church, you think of a building with walls. That is not at all what we're talking about anymore. That that church is done. It's done. It is no longer, I mean, it's not that it's done, done, but it's that is not the church. The church is mobilized, extricated. It is on the move and it is expanding and exploding because there are hurting people that are multiplying every day in our country and we need to touch them with Jesus. So we need to teach people these these methods of the I Work For Him Nation is what we call it. If you go to our website, that's one of the things is the I Work For Him Nation. Praying for the people that you know each and every day by name. We need to do that in our neighborhoods too. Well, you know, we talk about the fact that prayer can be touchless, although it's really nice when somebody's struggling and you pray for them and you put your hand on them. But during, you know, this Wash time, your hand we, first. The, during this time when we can't be near people, that doesn't mean we can't be praying not only for them, but with them and really offering that up and taking the extra time on, you know, finishing a Zoom call and, and saying, hey, you know, can I pray with you about whatever you're going through? Really being purposeful in that. Enough of this social distancing garbage. We need a spatial distance. Okay. Write your local senator. Tell them we're going to change the language. We're not going to social distance anymore. People are hurting. People need to see people. People need to touch people. 
Wash your hands first. Cover your mouth. Whatever you got to do. Spatial distancing. Okay. Social distancing, a disaster. There have been more people committed suicide because of COVID than people have died of COVID in this country. They're not talking about that statistic on the news. We've Mm. got to start spatial distancing only. We need social interaction. People are desperate. They're hurting more than they've ever done before. The power of the small group Mm. has is now recognized. I mean, church has been moving towards small groups for decades. But now, the small group is really the church in America. It is, it is the undeniable power of the church today. But and we have, cyber pastoring. And cyber pastoring is very cool. Just, do you have a, like a weapon, a cyber weapon? Okay. But you do have a weapon, don't you? Okay. Yeah, yeah she's right. looking for her, well, a Bible. So, but when you, when you look at this, uh, people are hurting. Uh, this COVID has been brutal on people. Not only have people lost loved ones, but losing jobs and losing contact with people it's just this is tough this is very very tough all right so we need to show as christ followers that we can be trusted in our work even when we work remotely now every one of you is in a different part of the country you've already proven to your bosses that you can work remotely and and still be held accountable yeah you know we were just having a conversation last night with our nephew and he said you know in his job which is very technical um they would have never thought that there could be success to work from home, but they've, he's found it to be incredibly productive and yet still engaging with people, just having to be intentional. And I think that's, that's really the conversation. That's really what it boils down to is how can we be intentional with not only doing our work well, but making sure that we're connecting with the people on the call. I love what Svetlana said at the beginning about engaging, even through making these memorable, because that's when you feel like you've made connection. And um, that's a key element to to having feeling like you still have relationship across the miles. You know, if every believer in the country was equipped with the knowledge that their workplace is in fact a place of ministry for ministry, Their workplace is a mission field full of lost and hopeless people who desperately need to meet Jesus, and they may be the only Jesus that their coworkers and employees may ever meet. Just imagine what kind of impact that would have on our country. And it's time to set aside partisan religion Mm. and and present the only solution to the problems that our world faces today. You look at where our country is today, it's in a rough spot. You know the only solution? It isn't the Democrats or the Republicans. It's Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus is, we have the only solution to the problems in this country. And the church needs to unify and present that. And it's going to happen in the marketplace. You know, and we really believe that um, the final harvest may involve the Four Walls Church, but in a role as mobilizer and encourager and equipper of the Christ-following men and women that go to work and in their retirement, that they are the, that, you know, like you just said, Jim, the manufacturing plant. And it's time to share the pulpit on Sunday with marketplace believers who've got stories to share because there's nowhere in the scriptures that say we should only listen to one person on Sunday because they're the only one that everything can say. I'm sorry to those of you pastors, but it's enough is enough. God is moving. If there's 500 people in your congregation, he's likely moving in 490 of their hearts. There's always those 10, you know. We need to hear from those people. What is God doing? Because we're all inspired by faith stories. Where do we get to hear them? Because on Sunday, we only get to hear from one person. You know, we really believe that this movement is ready for the next level. And we're, you know, we hope that you will join it if you're not already. And I believe that you probably already all are. But we know we already have all the answers in the Bible. And 
Jesus and the Holy Spirit that goes with us. And the believers in this country are being called to bring healing to a broken land by loving not only our neighbors, but our coworkers and praying for those that persecute us along the way. So who do you work for, really? We all have a calling. Have you heard this before? Some of us get called to the pastorate. Some of us get called to the foreign mission field. But the majority of us get called to a cubicle. You're either all in or all out. That's the kind of follower Jesus wants. I don't know about you, but I'm all in. We're Jim and Martha Brangenberg. Our workplace, it's our mission field. But ultimately, I I work for for him. Thank you for listening to the I Work For Him podcast with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. Please visit iworkforhim.com to learn more about connecting your faith and work, to join the I Work For Him nation, or subscribe to our weekly blog. You can also follow us on social media at I Work For Him to stay up to date and meet our guests. If today's message spoke to you, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Your review will launch more workplace missionaries across America. That's at I Work For Him and online, iworkforhim.com. I work the number 4 him.com